0: Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Church. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob Iswell. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. How worthy you are this morning, God. Oh, Rabbi Shata, Rabbi, 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 Rabbi. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. And we do, we speak the name of Jesus over every situation that doesn't line up with your word. Sickness is not part of our inheritance. Disease is not part of our inheritance. You paid the price for it. We thank You, Father, this morning for bringing healing to every person who needs healing. Miracles to every person that needs a miracle. We thank You, Father, that the Holy Ghost is already moving in this place. And we thank You, Father, for the increase of Your presence thereof. We thank You for those who watch by live stream. We ask that the tangible presence of God would be upon them even as they watch this morning. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness and the anointing that makes preaching easy. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Don't take your seats, as Pastor Susanna says, we need them. You didn't catch that joke. Greg, if I could get a little bit more in the monitors up here, that would be awesome. All right, turn in your Bibles to Luke 15. We are finishing a a five-week series on uh, sons, not servants. Uh, Next week, uh, we have the privilege of hosting a dear friend of mine, Dr. Dino Graham. And it kind of came up spontaneously. It wasn't in the agenda or in the plan, but I found out uh, that he was going to be in Texas and free on a Sunday morning. So Dr. Dino Graham is an incredible musician. Uh, He's an incredible uh, teacher of the Word of God. He walks in the fire of Pentecost. I mean, there is so much to be said about Dr. Graham, and I'm just super excited that he's going to be with us and that we are able to snag him for uh, a Sunday morning. And there is a possibility we'll do a Sunday night. We'll send out that information. Um, But for sure, next Sunday morning, he will be ministering uh, to us uh, here. The other neat treat that we'll have is that uh, a man by the name of Papa Dorn, uh, will also be in service with us next Sunday. So he's going to get up and exhort us for a few minutes and share with us. Papa Doran has been in ministry for over 70 years, uh, carries a great mantle around his life. He's an apostolic father to people around the world, and he actually worked for Dr. T.L. Osborne uh, back in the 70s. So both of them, having both of those men in service with us next week is going to be incredible. The other thing that um, I failed to uh, inform uh, Pastor Susanna is is that uh, Randy and Joanna are actually going to be with us Friday and Saturday as well. Um, so it's going to be Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we were originally going to do just Sunday, uh, but so many things happened the last time we were they were here. we just felt like, okay, we need to just make this the full weekend again. So that's going to be incredible. Like I said, Luke chapter 15, today, we are talking about the shoes of sonship. Uh, so we've talked about uh, the th- the three gifts. Well, two of the gifts so far, the robe. And we talked about the ring last week. And today we're talking about the shoes of sonship. Luke 15, in our series, Sons, Not Servants. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. So we've talked about the robe of righteousness, We've talked about the ring of authority. And this week, it's all about the shoes of sonship. So we're going to talk about shoes and what they represent in the Bible. That's what I did with the ring. We went through the Bible and we looked at what the ring represents. That's what we did with the robe. So we're going to do the same thing with shoes. But before I can tell you what shoes represent, I'm going to tell you what taking off your shoes represents. So that's the first point this morning. Take off your shoes. Now, You don't have to do that right now if some of you feel inclined to. I hope you brought foot powder or something like that. But uh, number one is take your shoes off. Uh, And so what would that represent in the Bible? Well, shoes represent rights. And so when we talk about the shoes of sonship, the father uh, was giving the prodigal son back his rights as a son. As we've kind of belabored the point the the son comes back to the father and he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, right? That's what he talking about. He has this mentality. I've messed up. I have not done anything worthy of being called your son. So just make me a servant in your house. And the father interrupts him. He doesn't let him finish his speech. And he says, but bring the best robe, that robe of righteousness and put it on him and bring that ring, bring the ring of authority. And the third thing he says is, bring his shoes. And what he's saying in that is you still have the rights of sonship. And that's what it is. But when you took your shoes off in the Bible, it meant that you were giving up your rights. And I'm going to show you a couple of places, but there's a story. There's that famous love story in the Bible, Ruth and Boaz. If I remembered, I was going to put up one of those slides. Some of you have seen it while you're waiting for Boaz. Don't settle for uh, cheap as and uh, Beecher as and all those. Don't settle for those. You want Boaz, right? And so Boaz wants to marry Ruth. He sees Ruth and he's like, "That's the woman I want to marry." But in the story, there's a kinsman that's nearer in the line, and in scripture, he's called the kinsman. Redeemer, and that's who our Christ is. By the way, He's the one that redeems us, and so the story of Ruth and Boaz is an incredible picture of of who Christ is. And so, the near kinsman redeemer uh, is is in line to marry Ruth. So Boaz goes and talks to him and says, "I want to marry her, but fir- you're first in line. Will you marry her?" And he says, "No, I'm I'm not going to." And so this is what he did. So let me just show you Ruth four seven says this. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. Now, this is really what jumped out at me is that I want to mention this, that Christ has redeemed us, right? We know that. We've talked a lot about that. We talked about that in the robe of righteousness. It was free. Christ has redeemed us and we have exchanged our sin for His righteousness. But this is the custom to confirm redeeming and exchanging. It says, to confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other And this was a confirmation in Israel. So what was this a confirmation of? It's a confirmation that this man, this kinsman redeemer, was giving up his right to marry Ruth. He was giving up his right. But the way you confirmed your right was that you took your shoes off. Do you see that? He had to take his sandal off. So let me jump back in Scripture to Deuteronomy and show you what the law said about this. Because at this time, it was, it was law in Deuteronomy 25. Now this would be, this is what would happen if a man dies and doesn't have an heir. And if he didn't have an heir, then the brother of that man was to marry his widow so that she would have an heir. So if the man dies and he had no children, it was then the responsibility of his brother to marry the wife. Really, you know, what if the man doesn't want to marry her? So this is what Deuteronomy tells us in verse in chapter 25, verse 7. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Now we're going to read verse 8, but personally, I love the Bible because I see so much humor in the Bible. Maybe some people don't see it, but I see that God wrote the Bible because He knew about humans. So watch how this goes. Just think about this conversation, all right? Verse 8, Then the elders of the city shall call Him and speak to Him. You need to marry the woman. That's what the law says. You need to marry her. But if He stands firm, reading on, I don't want the woman, I don't want to take her, I just wonder how some of these conversations went. (laughs) Have you seen her? I don't know what my brother was thinking when he picked her. I didn't pick her. Have you? I mean, she's mean. She scares me. I'm scared of her. And ladies, I'm not picking on ladies this morning. Can you imagine how she felt? I married the brother for a reason. He's the ugly brother. I don't want to marry my husband's brother. That's why I chose my husband. He was the good looking one, you know? So I guess God puts all these things in here because he knows we're humans, right? But the verse says, but if he stands firm and says, I don't want her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his his foot. And I love this. She gets a little bit of redemption. (laughs) Spit in his face. And answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel. So she gets a little bit more redemption here. His name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. That's his new name. He's no longer, you know, Jehoshaphat or Meshibbeth or whatever those names are. His new name is the house of him who had his sandal removed. So, I mean, come on. To me, see, we just don't think about these things, but two or three years down the the road, he goes in to get a mortgage. And let's fill out the mortgage application. Okay, what's your first name? The. The, like T-H-E, yeah. And your last name, removed. Your last name is removed, yeah. Okay, can you give us your full name? The house of him who had his sandal removed. You just wonder if they're like, oh, what did she look like? Why didn't you want to marry her? I don't know, okay, sorry. I could go on and all, this is where my brain goes. But there it is in scripture, okay. So I'm trying to find out in my journey what shoes represent But when you take off your shoes, it meant you were giving up your rights. So I just want you to think, because a lot of people don't realize these meanings in the Scripture. So let me just remind you then, if if taking off your shoes means giving up your rights, let me remind you of a very famous story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, of a conversation between a guy named Moses and God. Moses turns aside, he comes in to a place where there's a burning bush, and God says what to him? Take off your shoes. For the place where you stand is holy. You want to talk with me? You want to encounter the living God? Give up your rights. Take your shoes off because where you're standing is holy ground. The same thing happens to Joshua, remember? They go into the promised land and they're about to take the city of Jericho. They're standing and he goes up on a hill and he sees a guy with a sword. Joshua 5.13 It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? So he said, No. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I now have come. I'm the commander is what he says. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. And here's what he said. Joshua, I'm the commander of the army. Will you give up your rights? There was no way Israel could have defeated Jericho. By the way, read right after this. The man, you need to understand this, the man is Jesus. He was the angel of the Lord. Anytime that it is referred to as the angel of the Lord or the commander, he was Jesus and he gives him the plan to walk around the city seven times for seven days. That's where he got the plan. He got the plan directly from Jesus because then it says, Then the Lord said to him, and I love his answer though, because Joshua says, Are you for us? Or are you for our adversaries? He just says no. He doesn't give an answer of, yes, I'm for them or yes, I'm for you. It's kind of like, you know, they've been trained to ask you, do you want fries or an apple pie with that? Well, of course, the answer is yes. Want both, right? But he says no. He says, I'm not here to take sides, Joshua. I'm here to take over. I'm not here to get on your side, Joshua. I'm not here to get on their side. I'm here to see if you'll get on my side. If you get on my side, everything will be okay. I'm not here to serve in your army. I'm the commander. Now you can serve in my army or not, but if you serve in my army, you give up all your rights So take off your shoes. Is everyone following me? So first of all, before we talk about What the shoes, putting the shoes back on the prodigal son. You got to know what they represent. They represented rights and you've got to take them off first. So number one was to take your shoes off. Here's number two. Real simple, y'all, this morning. Put your shoes back on. That's number two this morning. Put your shoes back on. Now you say, what do you mean? I'm talking about the rights of sonship. Not what you can do on your own. Not what you've earned. Not how smart you are. Not how great you are. But the rights of being a son we daughter of God because Moses and Joshua put their shoes back on and led the people of Israel. But they led the people of Israel under God. So God has something for you to do. And yes, we've got to take our shoes off first. We've got to give up our rights. But then God hands our shoes back to us as a son because often we come as the prodigal before the father broken. We come oppressed. We come depressed. We come with all of our stuff. And God says, listen, I've already made you worthy. I've already called you by name. So I just need you to take your shoes off. And what does that represent? I need you to take your right to be a prodigal off. I need you to take off what you've been wearing, the shame that you've been wearing, the things that you've been walking in those things. I want you to take them off because I'm going to put your shoes back on you so that you can walk out the destiny and the purpose that I've created for you. But see, so often we come with our shame and our regret and everything that we've walked in, and God wants to put our shoes back on. But I want to go back to Luke 15 and just sum up what the rights are. And then I want to bring in another dimension of this because I want it, as I'm ending the series here, I want it to bring back to my original burden, which is to declare to you that you are sons, not servants. See, everyone talks about the prodigal son, and it's the prodigal son, and, and it's, it's the parable of the prodigal son. But it is a parable. A parable comes from the Greek word parable. Para means alongside. And the Holy Spirit walks alongside us. And bowl is to throw. So what Jesus would do is He would throw a story alongside truth. That's what a parable is. It's, it's a story to walk alongside truth. So this is a parable here. So He's the one that tells the parable of the prodigal son. But really I think a better Name for this story is the tale of two sons. Because there's a second story, a second son in the story. And remember, the father gives the prodigal a ring, a robe, and some shoes, and throws a party for him. And the son, the older son, then it tells us what he does. He won't come to the party. Now, this is really important for us to catch this Luke 15 25. His older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come home. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he, that's the older brother, was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to the father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. Now remember, we are sons, not servants. He says, I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Now, first of all, that's a lie. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short. He was not the perfect son. There's only one perfect son and his name is Jesus. So we know this idea that he had never sinned against the father was a lie. And the other thing is that when he says, and you never even gave me a young goat. Now, that's also a lie because when we go back to the story, it says, and the father divided to both sons his inheritance. And because he was the firstborn, he got twice as much as the prodigal. But he says, you never gave me one goat. He gave him a thousand goats. And then he says that I might make merry with my friends, but as soon as this son of yours, I I love what it really means in the Greek, the son who became like a bastard and went and slept with a whole bunch of people, as soon as he comes home, you give him a fatted calf. And I've been serving all these years, but as soon as the son of yours, he who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. So let me just sum up the rights of sons and daughters, all right? These are the rights. The presence and the provision of God. It is the presence and the provision of God. And everything we could look through Scripture to find about shoes is summed up in what the Father said to him. You are always with me. See, I think sometimes we can get so caught up in our serving that when someone new comes in and catches revelation that we have not caught yet, we get jealous. I've been serving all these years, and you give them a fatted calf. You're always with me. You've always been in the house, son. You've always had a seat at the table. But this son, he didn't know who he was. And I brought him back. He came back. So we rejoice over that. You're always with me. You have me. You have me. And all that I have is yours. But why does Jesus even bring up the older brother into it? Because he tells three parables. He tells the parable of the lost coin. Right before he tells the story of the prodigal son, he tells the parable of the lost coin. He says a woman had 10 coins and he lost one and searched the house diligently and then found it. She called all of her friends together and had a party. And he said, There's joy in heaven when one sinner repents. If you lost a coin, I don't think you'd throw a party. But here's what the Bible says that she threw a party because all of heaven rejoices. Before that, he tells about the lost sheep. A shepherd had a hundred sheep and he loses one. And he leaves the 99 and he goes and finds the sheep, puts it on his shoulders, brings it back, calls all of these friends together to have a party. And he says, There is joy in heaven when one sinner repents. And then he tells about the prodigal son and the father throws a party for him. But why does he even tell us about the older son? We've got to go back to why he even told the parable in the first place. And this is how I know right now it's not sounding like I'm bringing it all together, but I'm going to. When I say my burden for this series, I mean, it's the Lord's burden. The Lord wants us to catch catch this. We are sons of not servants. Why does he even tell this? Why does he tell this parable? It goes back to Luke 15, verse 1. Then all of the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Just notice that the Bible always puts tax collectors together with sinners. Something to be said about that. But I want you to know this. notice this. And then it says, And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying now again, sometimes words just jump out at me. This man receives sinners. Look at those two words, receives sinners. You might just want to say this out loud right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you receive sinners. Because that means I got to be received and you got to be received It's good he receives sinners, but that's what they're mad about. They're mad that he receives sinners and he even eats with them. So in other words, because of this, because of this, he, that's what it says. Because of this, he told a story. Because they complained that he received sinners, he told stories. He's telling us these three parables, which are all one parable, actually, according to the Bible, to show us how much the father loves to recover stolen kids. That's one reason. The second reason is he's showing us that it's all grace and not works. I want you to think about how much of a battle that Jesus had constantly with the Pharisees. Constantly. Constantly they were challenging him and battling against him. And how many parables he told to try to explain them. Guys, It's not works, it's grace. So he comes to earth and he hangs out with sinners and the Pharisees get all mad about it because they felt they'd earned their relationship with God and sinners haven't earned it. So he tells all these parables over and over and he tells this one, I mean, the older son has got to represent the Pharisees here and the prodigal son represents the sinners because it's the Pharisees who are mad because he received sinners and ate with them. And he says, yeah, now let me tell you about my father. He gets excited when one sinner comes home. But let me tell you about you. You're the older brother that says, I've been serving you all this time, but you've never even given me a goat. And the father says, all that I have is yours. And yet you're mad because I'm giving attention to a sinner that came home? He tells about the workers that joined working in the field late. He tells about the one guy who goes out and hires the people at the start of the day. That's 6 a.m. And then the third hour, that's 9 a.m. And then as the day goes on, and in the last hour at 6 p.m., or I'm sorry, at the 11th hour, at 5 p.m., because the day ended at 6 He says, you worked from sunrise to sunset. And then he says, at the 11th hour, he hires some more workers and he pays them all the same. But those who had been working all day get upset. How could you hire them at five o'clock? We've been working since six o'clock. Why would you hire them and pay them the same? And he says, why are you mad? This is exactly what I agreed to. We had an agreement from the beginning that this is what I would pay. And they said, because you're making them equal to us. That's why they're mad. They only worked one hour. We worked the whole day. This is exactly what the Pharisee mindset is. How dare you give him a fatted calf? He went off and sinned and did all these things. And he says, yeah, but you've been with me the whole time. And you've missed the benefit of being in the father's house. See, we can feel like we've earned it. We can feel like we deserve it, that we are self-righteous and all of these things. But I'm going to tell you right now, the father rejoices when the lost son returns. See, if you remember the thing that jumped out to me in this parable that I've never seen, and again, I've been preaching for all these years, I'd never seen it was this word. Hired. Luke 5, 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants. And I knew there was something in that word hired and I couldn't quite figure it out. And even when the son later says, you know, I'm not worthy to be called a son. Make me one of your hired servants. Here's the whole thing. It came together this week. A hired servant is an employee. He's hired. So when he gets his paycheck, he earned it. I mean, I hope he has. But an employee, when he gets a paycheck, he's earned it. He worked it and he got it. But that's not what we are. We miss our inheritance for the paycheck. We live our life thinking, if I clock in and clock out, that's our whole culture. Our whole culture is about if you do this, you get this. If you serve this way, you'll have this reward. The church for years has preached you need to learn how to be a servant. And I'm telling you, God in this hour is not looking for a bunch of servants. He's looking for sons. Because as long as you're a servant, if you mess up, you're afraid of what will happen. If I mess up, I'll lose my paycheck. If I mess up, I'll lose the love of the Father. If I mess up, if I don't do everything the church has always told me I'm supposed to do to be a good Christian. But God has never desired for you to be a good Christian. He's desired for you to be a son. And we live like servants. And we live begging God. Okay, maybe if I fast this amount of time. Listen, fasting is good. Don't hear me wrong this morning. There are things we need to do as believers. But if we do them as servants, we will never walk in our inheritance. And so we come to the altar begging God to, to heal us. We come to God. OK, I've fasted and I've prayed and I've done this and I tithe and I do all these things and I clean the church and I serve and I serve and I serve. And, I serve and why don't I get the miracles I'm asking for? Why have I not been a good servant? You're not a servant. You're called to be a son because sons understand he's been with me the whole time. But that's not how we live. We live as though we come in and out of the presence of the Father. We live with this mentality. Oh, well, this week I didn't read my Bible every day, so therefore I don't have the presence of God around me. We live here. Here's really where most Christians live. I find the presence of God in church. So if I've missed church, I've missed the presence of God. That's a prodigal mentality that I have to come through the doors to experience the presence of God. No, I'm a son. Therefore, I'm in the father's house 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I have instant access. I don't have to beg for God to to let me into his presence. He already made a way. The veil was torn from top to bottom. He tore it himself. If you are a son, you live from that mentality. But I think so often we have this idea because it's been so ingrained that we're servants and you need to serve. I mean, I say it myself save people, serve people. But the idea has to be based in the reality that we have not earned our sonship. It is a free. Gift. He paid for it. He already gave it to us. We don't earn it with Jesus. We are sons and daughters, and it is a free gift from the Father. That's the difference, and that's what the Pharisees couldn't stand. They could not handle it with Jesus that these sinners haven't earned it. That's what they're saying to them. And Jesus, over and over, and parable after parable, said to them, No, they haven't earned it, but you haven't either. If you feel like you've earned your relationship with God, you will want others to earn it also. And you'll look at others that don't live up to your standard of righteousness and you'll be critical and judgmental. Let me just say it this way. You're a Pharisee. That's a Pharisaical spirit. It's a works-based mentality. Many, many people get this when they're growing up, whether they have good parents, bad parents, Christian parents, non-Christian parents. They grow up feeling like when I act right, my parents love me. And when I don't act right, my parents don't love me. So when I act right as an adult now, God loves me. And when I don't act right, God doesn't love me. I've got some news for you. God loves you whether you like it or not. No matter how you act, God loves you. As I start to close this morning, I want to say to you, it's always been by grace and not by works. The trumpet is sounding. It's a gift. It's not earned. But here's the deal. When we come to Jesus, we lay down our rights. We take our shoes off. The place where you stand is holy ground. I lay down my rights to live however I want. The prodigal was loved, but living however he wanted... He did that outside the Father's house. He was always loved. you got to remember that. He was always loved. But to be a prodigal, you can know you're loved by God and still be a prodigal. We're not called to be prodigals. We're called to be sons. But here's the deal. When we are sons, we do live in a way that is pleasing to the Father. But what we can't do is think that by living a way pleasing to the Father, that's how we earn God's love. Because we know we're loved, we live in a way pleasing to the Father. We've had it so backwards in our culture. We think, if I do the right things, I earn love. No, because I'm loved. Because I'm loved. In my marriage, because Anna loves me, I want to live a life that honors her. Because my children have this unconditional love. I'll tell you, I never fully understood the love of the father until I understood the love of a child. When I see Kai and he says to me, Daddy, I love you. You're the best. I think to myself, how did I earn that? I didn't. It's because he knows he's loved by me. And so when we understand that God loves us freely, it changes how we operate. The son who stayed at home didn't know who he was as a son because he was living for a paycheck in the father's house. Never even given me a goat. Son, you could have all the goat you want. Goat curry's great, y'all. He always had access to everything that was in the Father's house. The prodigal recognized he had an inheritance, but he didn't recognize he was loved. And we have these two things that are operating in the church. And when we get rid of those two things, you start living as a son. And then you want people to know the Father. I have the best dad. In the whole world. He's your dad too. Not. That's my dad. Why are you trying to take what my dad has to offer? That's how we live. God wants to set us free from that this morning. So you got to lay your rights at the feet of Jesus. Because he cares for you not. To give not just your life but your life that you're living right now, your thoughts, your emotions to the Lord, because He's the only one that can take those and turn them for good and turn what was meant for evil for good. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We're not hired servants. Jesus has given His grace freely. Therefore, we give grace to others around us freely. But as I close with this thought, grace Is not a license to sin. It's not the grace cover up. Grace is the empowerment not to sin. So when we give grace to others around us, it's empowering them to be free, not judging them for what they're doing wrong, especially if they're not a believer. It's empowering them. Hey, I've got a good dad, he's your dad too. And then when I come before the father as a son, I can freely say, dad, I'm in need. And I know you have everything available to me. And this is what I need. When Kai comes to me and says, daddy, I need you to play with me. I want to tackle. That's his favorite thing to do. Okay. Let's go tackle. Now, sometimes I have to say, No, I can't tackle right now. I'm going to burn dinner. But he knows that he has access because he knows he's loved. I think so often we lack because we don't know who the Father is. And we don't know who we are as sons. God wants to put shoes on you, but you got to take yours off first. The robe was free, the ring was free. The shoes were free. The prodigal had done nothing to earn it. But the other son, he had all of it as well. And you need to recognize that. If you've been with Jesus just a short time and you're one of those prodigals who's still understanding why God would give you free gifts, I want to pray for you. But if you're the son who's been in the house a long time and you're struggling to understand that you're not hired, I want to pray for you as well. This morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, it's the greatest decision you could ever make. All you got to do is accept that he died for you. He was raised from the dead. You got to believe that. And you got to confess, hey, I'm far away from you. And then repent, which means to change your mind about the life you've been living. Come home to the Father. That's you this morning. You want to make that decision. Maybe you made that decision a long time ago, but you're a prodigal this morning. Come home. My friend Jenny Weaver has a great song, Prodigals Come Home. If you haven't heard it, I think it's on YouTube. It's on iTunes. Prodigals Come Home. If that's you this morning, I want you to slip up your hand. Maybe you're watching by live stream. Together, we're going to pray in just a moment. We're going to declare Jesus is our Lord. If that's you, slip up your hand this morning. Maybe you're watching my live stream. Let's pray, church. Jesus, I repent of all of my sin. I confess I've been far away. But today, I choose to believe that you make all things new. I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook, or visit www.equippingchurch.us.